Welcome to Virtuoso, your story and sound Shangri-La. Entertaining stories that enhance your well-beingness and well-being. Please welcome your host, Trevor Joran. In this new episode, I talk about the pioneering work of Darwin, which influenced the way that we look at diversity of life on Earth. I also look into the career of quite possibly the greatest male vocalist of all time, Frank Sinatra, and see how his work is an example of persistence for all of us. Then I interview my parents, and we have quite a fun conversation, reminiscing on the good old days. Here's what you can expect in this episode. We'll have a quick mindful moment bringing us together. Today's theme is focus. Then at four minutes and 45 seconds, I'll showcase the story behind the groundbreaking and formative work of Charles Darwin. Next, I'll talk a little bit about the wine I am enjoying this episode, an excellent example of Italian heritage in the US, Chimarosa, high atop the mountains in Angwin, California. Then we'll have the sound portion at 10 minutes and 45 seconds, where we'll look into the career hub and the lessons learned from Frank Sinatra. Following that, we'll spin the globe and learn about a new location, a country in the heart of Central Asia, Kyrgyzstan. At 23 and a half minutes, I interview my parents and we discuss our treasured memories from childhood. And lastly, we have our concluding segment with the pennies and pounds notes. Enjoy the show. For today's mindful moment, I would like to focus on the theme of focus. Whether your idea of focus is more general or specific, the same theory applies. More focus at work, more focus on your relationships, more focus on a hobby, more focus on narrowing the things competing for our time. What it really comes down to is being able to direct your attention. Imagine now what it is like to be fully present. Focus your attention here with a sense of calm composure. Breathe in. And breathe out through the mouth. In through the nose. Hold your breath at the top and gently let it go. Notice how your body feels. If there is a sense of stillness, don't worry if your mind is thinking. Just let it think. Recognize the wandering nature. Note that it has happened, and with a gentle hand, bring it back to the attention of focus. Here we are in the present.
One more time, breathe in. And out. Great. All right, now that we're all together, let's bring the energy up and get the show started. The Origin of Species by Darwin. In short summary, Charles Darwin is the author of The Origin of Species, which suggested what had caused evolution to happen. Darwin's work has changed the scientific thought about life forever. He has built the foundation of which the life science has expanded upon exponentially. The original title for the book published in 1859 was On the Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection or the Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for life. Interestingly, after traveling around the world, viewing all different kinds of organisms, he still waited for more than 20 years to publish his theory. And this is viewed as the single most important book in biological science. And the author's aims were to show that species had not been created separately. And the natural selection is the main driver of change. I think the meaningful message here is that evolution by natural selection is the key to understanding the diversity of life on Earth. Enlightened excerpts. So a few quotes from the seminal work which I particularly enjoy are, From so simple a beginning, endless forms most beautiful and most wonderful have been and are being evolved. One general law leading to the advancement of all organic beings, namely, multiply, vary, let the strongest live, and the weakest die. And whilst man, however well behaved, is at best but a monkey shaved. <laughs> Alright, so the clever concept here. This book marked a big step for science stepping away from religion. It also changed the way that professionals approached evolution. Before this book was written, most biology was done by dedicated amateurs. Afterwards, professionals trained in modern techniques pushed forward the development of this science. The origin book dealt a serious blow to people who interpreted the story of creation from the Bible literally. Darwin almost made no mention of the evolution of the human race, although controversy raged around this topic. On to the brilliant blemish, or fabulous flaw. There are some interesting blemishes in Charles Darwin's work, mainly because the process of genetic inheritance was unknown at the time of his publication. His ideas between the connection of naturalist selection and inheritance were unclear. Based upon some of my research online, I found that you will find a very few scientists working in the field of physiology or microbiology who have much good to say about Darwin and his concept. I also find that, interestingly, we can now put organisms into a stressful but non-lethal environment and directly watch how they adapt. There is evidence that we don't see random genetic accidents anymore, such as Darwin proposed. In fact, 
Now we see more epigenetic changes or alterations to the DNA, to the organism. In a nutshell, there is evidence that mutations are not random but highly predictable and tied to the environmental needs. And still today, the work of Darwin remains very much a theory rather than fact. What I've always been particularly fascinated about is that evolution only starts after life begins. But to me, the big question is, what started life? Yes, the Big Bang, and the stars, and the planets, and chemistry. But what happened before the Big Bang? This is an element that has always held a large question mark in my mind. What was that work of a supreme designer? Is that possible? Yeah, it's something to consider. In today's Culinary Corner, I am reminiscing when Roberta and I were driving up over 2,000 feet into the Vaca mountain range of Napa Valley, where you find this little red hilltop called Chimarosa. This little slice of Italian flair takes the very best of nature and produces some of the most restrained power and Cabernet I've ever been lucky enough to taste. I recall John walking us around the small property and taking us into a tasting room that had the most excellent views. Far-reaching mountain vistas accompanied with a flight of cheese and wine that was the quintessential experience of the high life. Pardon the pun, but we were really elevated on the quality here. Today I have a 2004 Riva Cabernet from a hand-farmed terraced vineyard that's just under an acre and a half in size. A fabulous example of sense of place and it displays these dark berries with a beautiful deep purple hue. I know Roberta is sure loving this color. Elegant, refreshing, and full of flavor. I highly recommend taking a visit here. Frank Sinatra, ladies and gentlemen. In short summary, it is undeniable that the voice of Sinatra was one of the greatest gifts to music. With a career spanning over six decades of stage presence, he is an example to all of us of persistence. The faith that he had in himself to ride the highs and lows can be an inspiration to anyone. His journey has one of the greatest comeback stories of all time. And for all his fame, he sure did enjoy and understand loneliness. His music is timeless because he is able to tap into the joys and pains that every man experiences. Regardless of when they were born, he tells our story through his lyrics. The meaningful message, I think, if we were to look at his entire career, is to have faith in yourself and never give up. It's made clear in the song, My Way. 
The decade of the 50s was a particularly interesting time in his career. He lost his recording and film contracts early on as a result of some bad decisions. A few years later, however, he made a triumphant comeback and won the Oscar for his playing of a soldier in the movie From Here to Eternity. Things look on the up and up, but once again, towards the end of this decade, he lost his popularity. His sales slipped again because of the up-and-coming rock and roll music that he had to battle with. So, with a couple of his friends, he went out to set up his own record label, Reprise. By the mid-60s, he was back on top, winning Grammys and becoming the main attraction in the adult playground of Las Vegas. The career heights that he reached, especially after climbing from the depths of despair, is something that very few public figures have ever been able to achieve. His words say it best. I've loved and laughed. I've cried. I've had my fill. Yes, my share of losing. And now, as tears subside, I find it all oh so amusing to think I did all that. And may I say, oh, not in a shy way. Oh, no. Oh, no, not me. I did it my way. Another thing that Sinatra did in his career that I find particularly endearing is standing up for what he believes in. He used his fame to make a stand for civil rights. In 1945, he starred in a short film called The House That I Live In, where he vocalized acceptance of the differences amongst people. So in the movie, there's a scene of some young boys who chase a young Jewish boy into the back alley of a sound studio where Sinatra is working. As he steps out for his smoke break, he sees the young Jewish boy being picked on, and I'll paraphrase what he says here. Hey look, fellas, religion makes no difference, except maybe to a Nazi, or somebody as stupid. Why, people all over the world worship God in many different ways. God created everybody. He didn't create one people better than another. My dad came from Italy, but I'm an American. But should I hate your father because he came from Ireland or France or Russia? Wouldn't that be a first-class fathead? Think about that, fellas. Use your good American heads. Don't let anybody make suckers out of you. He also took a stand for African-American musicians when the doors were closed to them, insisting on their fair treatment and refusing to play in segregated clubs. Man, Sinatra, what a guy. So, enlightened excerpt from the song Strangers in the Night. Great lyrics here. I think Sinatra has particularly good stories in his songs. Think about this one, right? You've had strangers in the night, exchanging glances, wandering the night. What were the chances that we'd be sharing love before the night was through? Something in your eyes, it's so inviting. And something in your smile, it's so exciting. Something in my heart, it told me I must have you. Strangers in the night, yes, two lonely people. We were strangers in the night, up to the moment we said our first hello, and little did we know. What a beautiful story that is. I mean, it's about fate, it's about chance, it's about romance. And Sinatra, he had it down. Another song that I love by him, Come Fly With Me. 
when he goes, once I get you up there, where the air is rarefied, we'll just glide, yes, starry-eyed. Once I get you up there, I'll be holding you so near that you may hear angels cheer, because we're together. <laughs> He's such a guy. And listen to this fabulous quote. Cock your hat, because angles are attitudes. And I love Sinatra. Clever concept behind the guy here. I think what Frank did most cleverly in his career was being one of the first artists to really promote the concept album. You know, the idea that each album is locked into a mood of sorts. You might say that he even invented this. And I think that he was also quite entrepreneurial at heart. And to go out and start his own record label so that he and his colleagues could have more creative freedom and control over their careers. With all of this fanfare about Sinatra, what is the brilliant blemish? What is it? For all that Sinatra has done well in his career, he has made a great deal of folly. His second wife said that he wanted to be in the sack with every single female that he could. It seems like he had very little loyalty. And even though he was still able to capture the hearts of some of the most beautiful and famous women of his time, it was just that some of these voracious women broke his too. And he found that hard to take. And his career is just another example of the artists getting trapped into their vices when their life becomes too much to bear. However, Sinatra always bounced back and at the end of his career recorded one of his most treasured pieces, an ode to the city of New York. And particularly, I remember standing in Times Square when I was dating a young girl from Thailand. She was visiting our country and studying here abroad. And I took her to New York for New Year's Eve. Standing in the center of Times Square, watching the ball drop, being surrounded by thousands of people. And the moment the ball dropped, just ecstatic energy. And then Sinatra's song came on. The beautiful and blessed piece of music to New York. And I just remember that moment and feeling such a wave of emotion come over me. And that is a true artist who has the ability to do something like that. To make the emotional surge so strong that it literally can bring tears to someone's eyes. And Sinatra had that. In today's global segment, I spun the globe around, closed my eyes, put my finger down, and landed in Kyrgyzstan. This is a country in Central Asia which is landlocked, full of mountains, and bordered by China. The history spans over 2,000 years through a variety of empires, and it had an incredibly important role as the crossroads for the Silk Road. 
When researching their culture, I found a few interesting things of note. First, there is two keys which are elaborately embroidered wall hangings that are traditionally made to symbolize the marriage. Hung over the beds of a couple, this symbolizes their pride and tradition, and these are often designed with stylized horns, plants, and animals. They're very beautiful. These large, elaborate, embroidered wall hangings are called tushkis. While the country is full of grandeur and beauty and wide open spaces and plenty of fantastic cultural elements, I did find one shocking thing that I want to share here. It's the practice of la kachu, which is traditionally a form of bride kidnapping. But to the extent of what it, it actually continues today is controversial. Some sources suggest at least a third of brides are taken against their will. And it is essentially a non-consensual practice where a young man with the help of his friends and relatives would take women and hide them in their homes until they're willing to put on a scarf, symbolizing their sign of acceptance as a married woman. Although suppressed during the Soviet period, this practice has begun to resurface. And although illegal in the country, the government has not taken the proper steps to fully protect women from this practice. Staying true to our foremost story and sound, an interesting instrument that they use in this country is a fretless stringed instrument known as the komuz. This is generally made from a single piece of apricot wood and has three strings that are traditionally made out of fishing line. It is a high-pitched instrument which frequently is played by virtuosos in unusual positions such as over the shoulder or between the knees or upside down. Extremely interesting. Also, Part of this country's culture is the epic poem called the Manas, which dates back to the 18th century, but the people actually claim it to be much older. The plot revolves around a series of events that coincides with the history of this region, and there are dozens of renditions and iterations, one of which contains approximately 500,000 lines. In summary, the epic tells of the story of Manas, his descendants, and their exploits against various foes. The various episodes or books follow the stories of the lineage. It talks about the destructions and the difficulties caused by invading forces, and how prayers are eventually answered where a son of unique strength, mischief, and generosity is born. A plan is hatched to capture the young son, Manas, but the invaders fail at their task, while the son is able to rally his people and eventually is proclaimed as Khan. The son expands his reach to include further conquering lands and marrying the daughters of foreign rulers. Sounds like quite an epic to me. Kyrgyzstan is a very interesting country I would like to visit someday. Aloha! Welcome to the show. I am so glad to have both of you here. This is a special episode for me. I've got some great questions. So for everybody listening, these are my wonderful parents. I am so happy about having them on the show today because we are going to dive deep into my childhood. So my first question today is, in what ways do you think that I am like you, Mom? Well... 
I guess I think maybe the number one way is that we both love learning. Um, learn, we both place a really high priority on learning for, I guess, for just personal fulfillment and development. We just both really enjoy learning new things. Um, I think we're both really curious and interested in people and subjects. We're both really interested in seeing new places. You know, we both love to travel. And I mean, we, I have fabulous memories of, of experiencing new things with you. Um, like our cross country trip, actually multiple cross country trips, and then our, our time together in India. Yeah. So I think that, I think that's probably the number one way that we're similar is the value we place on, on experiences, new experiences and, um, and learning things, whether it comes from experiences or people we meet. Yes, I remember as a young boy, we, we traveled all across the country and had some fantastic experiences together. And then as I grew up going to India and learning about the ancient Ayurvedic sciences and yoga was one of the greatest experiences of my entire life. And I also can speak to our design traits. I think that you have influenced my eye and with all of the books that I design and with the website and all the photograph collages, I see your, your discerning and well-developed eye and, and the way that I think about laying things out. And I appreciate that trait. Yeah, that's a good one. I actually didn't think of that, but I agree. So my next question is for you, Dad. Um, can you tell me about what are some of the things that you miss about the good old days? Probably what I miss, <clears throat> excuse me, what I miss most of all, I think, is the simplicity of it all, of being able to just go outside when I was a kid and play with my friends and, and go where we wanted to go without our moms and dads always you know, wondering every second where we were. I think they had a lot more trust in us as kids. And uh, I think that's the way mom and I, you know, wanted to raise you and your brothers uh, to be pretty independent. But I just like the simplicity of, and the simpleness of, of life back then. It was, it was just a lot easier. Well, I can speak to the way that you raised us and looking back as uh, on our childhood some of the best elements were the most simple ones where we would just play in the backyard and have nothing to worry about there were no as children worries and now as we are growing older and moving away from home and seeing the world and taking on responsibility i miss that simplicity i mean i still look back especially in the winter time uh, when you guys would build these gigantic snow jumps in the backyard and I had to install lights in the backyard so you and your friends would go till midnight. 
in, in the backyard. But probably one of my most favorite memories is when you and Sawyer and Spency, I made you get your BMX helmets on and your goggles, and we had a toboggan. We tied a rope to the front of the toboggan and to the back of the car, and we went through the whole neighborhood. You know, me pulling you, this is before oh. they would plow the streets. And we were out Those of dark and loved it. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. I mean... That was the feeling of freedom encapsulated. I just had the best time. We all loved that. The snow was deep. <laughs> it was some of the most fun I've ever had in my entire life. <laughs> Great memories. Great memories. The thing I remember most, well, you know our neighborhood, and we were as far away as we could from our house, <clears throat> turned around and started coming back. We got back almost to the house, and I stopped the car and looked out, and there's only two of you on the toboggan. And I said, where is Spencer? And you both just looked at me and said, oh, he fell off way back there. So we just turned the car around and went back, and Spencer was just walking down the road, you know, in, in snow gear, and uh, thinking nothing of it. He just fell off, and that was all there was to it, and... He, when we got back to him, he got back on and we took off again. But I still remember that and I still think that is just a classic of uh, things we used to do. And I also remember, uh, Trevor, the times we all went to Mont Blanc in the winter. And I remember snowboarding, you snowboarding, me skiing, and the two of us racing down the hill. I remember that. I want to I want to take the mic and give it to mom and ask a similar question. So, what are some of your most treasured memories from childhood? And what are your some of your favorite memories from raising us boys? I guess uh, you know that I grew up you know with my dad being in the Air Force and I think it it was a kind of an unusual upbringing in in you know, in terms of what you guys have known, uh, where you grew up in the same place your whole life. But I moved every couple years. Um, so I just one of the things I loved about that was living in different places, seeing different things, having new friends in every place. Um, it just just the experiences, just the variety of experiences and the variety of places that I lived and went to school. And my, uh, as you know, my parents were both from Canada. So whenever we were stationed in the States, we used to, um, my dad would take his month of leave and we would drive cross country wherever we lived in the States and drive to Canada and drive all the way across Canada visiting our grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins. And that's another awesome memory. So, I mean, I think from my upbringing comes my love of exploration and my love of travel and my love of new experiences and, you know, just all the different foods and sights and sounds. I mean, one thing I remember was I was about 10 or 12 when we um, lived in Taiwan. And I can remember coming back to America 
And on the airplane, they showed a film of, you know, because at, at that time coming to America was, was kind of unusual. And so they showed a, a movie on the airplane about America. And I can remember them showing roads and cars driving between the lines on the roads. And that was just so strange compared to what, what I saw in Taiwan. I mean, it's just crazy things like that that are just so different that most, most Americans, most Americans sadly don't ever get to see, you know, anything outside of, outside of America. But I did. And, and I feel very lucky about that. And I also think that moving all the time, And having to make new friends and go to new schools and everything just made me open and outgoing and contributed to my enjoyment of people and, and all that. But, um, so I think that that love of travel and exploration is something that all three of you kind of got from me, you know, that I was able to pass pass along to you. So yeah, some of my favorite memories with each of you are the, the travel experiences that we've had. Um, but then, you know, as far as your childhood, some of the kind of simple things that, that um, dad was talking about, like I feel very lucky that I was able to be a stay-at-home mom and that I spent all day every day with you kids. And I used to... Um, you know, take you hiking. And we used to go to lakes and parks and, um, like, like state parks and, you know, the woods and, and that was just awesome. I just loved that. And then another just indelible memory that just added immeasurably to all of our lives is the puppies, you know, that we got when you three kids were little and how the dogs became, just such important parts of our lives and how close each of you felt to, you know, to your own particular puppy and to all the puppies. So, you know, the dogs were a huge part. One, one thing that I loved, loved, loved doing was we used to go swimming every night after dinner. You know, that's just an awesome, awesome memory. I like that we... Uh, We weren't as protective of you kids as a lot of parents are in this day and age. And so we encouraged you to, you know, jump off diving boards and ride your bikes. And one of my favorite memories is I can remember standing at the kitchen window and seeing you and you were just, oh, you were little. Like, I don't even think you were two yet. I don't know. Maybe you were two. And you were pushing that little plastic um push toy down the dirty hill. You used to call the road beside our house, which wasn't even built yet at that time. You called it the dirty hill. And you used to um you used to love going out. You were so curious and explorative and you loved being outside. You loved you know when when you got old enough to ride a bike which you read you rode your bike very young but you used to just you used to ride your bike from sun up to sundown 
neighbors would call me and say, do you know Trevor's outside riding his bike? And I'd say, yeah, <laughs> because, you know, a lot of people didn't let their kids go outside and play without the parents. But we we just weren't super protective of you guys. And and I think that that was really good. And then, of course, the other thing is um, BMX, you know, just how how huge BMX was in our lives. And I think you guys all Absolutely. learned so, so, so much about, you know, about teamwork and, uh, you know, friends. And, and again, we let you be independent there. I'm so glad that community was so supportive and the kids were just able to go off and be kids together. And I, you know, we were together as a family, but you were also independent. You were learning about competition and teamwork and you were getting exercise. You know what? None of you guys were, none of you guys were ever couch potatoes or, you know, you all just loved being active and loved being outside and, and, uh, you know, so a lot of good memories. Absolutely. Well, I wanted to thank you both for your time on the show today. It brought back some of the most foundational pieces of the puzzle that contributed to who I am. And I can see that both of your traits have passed down to all of us as children, but especially I can relate to the curiosity and the simplicity and the willingness to allow us to be adventurous and explore and your dedication to show us the world, how that influences who I am today. And I'm, I'm very grateful that we got to spend some time together and recover some of those treasured memories. Thank you. Thank you for your time. You're welcome, honey. You're welcome. In this segment of Pennies and Pounds, I'd like to bring up the idea of drive. You know, when we have tremendous drive, sometimes it can be our downfall. Sometimes we can let it get in the way of our quality of life. And I'd like to consider letting go and the answers that may come from that. Now, I know it can be difficult. Trust me. I often find that when I'm slowing down, my mind becomes even more agitated, even more wanting to grasp new tasks. Because humans are hardwired to preserve. Humans are hardwired to do things. Humans, I think, have a difficult time sitting still. But letting go of what is not serving you or letting go of what is gripping you too tightly opens up space. And in that space, you can find new opportunity. Run at 85% because tense is not your friend. It's proven that the Olympic athletes, when they're running at 85% of their capability, they're not pushing 100%, but they're running at 85%, they tend to do better because their muscles are not tense. Their muscles are relaxed. Their muscles are performing optimally. They're not in the red zone. All progress begins with a brave decision and to step back and settle down 
requires a bravery. And for today's pounds, let's muse over a few ideas that we can use to become more connected and confident with our body image and our movement. From our fingers to our toes, let's explore the sensations throughout our bodies. As you inhale, focus on the air in your lungs, the life in your body, the limbs that work, the ability to move your fingers. These are incredible gifts. The strength that we do have, the eyes to witness the miracle, the ears that you have to hear this podcast. These are truly our blessings. Well, in conclusion, to my listeners, I want to thank you for spending this time with me. It's hard work putting these shows together, but knowing that you are out there being engaged, entertained, and enhanced by the Virtuoso Show makes it all worth it to me. I'm glad that we are able to spend time together every few weeks. If you love what I'm doing and you want to support me, please go to trevorsthoughts.com and sign up for my email. Alternatively, you can shoot me a quick message at muse at trevorsthoughts.com. That's M-U-S-E, like the Greek muses. I'll send you an email back and we can begin our relationship from there. The next episode in our series falls on February 11th. So that's quite some distance in the future. If you need a little friendly reminder, just sign up for my newsletter and I'll let you know when the time is right. Thanks again, and I look forward to our next show together.